You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Hey, open your Bibles to Psalm 111. We're studying the Psalms this summer. The Psalms are wisdom literature, uh, which is good because I don't know about you, I need wisdom because I end up doing a lot of dumb things. Hello. Some of you guys out there? We're gonna, okay, we're going to have testimonies. Y'all come up. No. I, did, I found some testimonies from some people online, so y'all didn't have to share yours, okay? So somebody just posted on, online, asked, what is your most embarrassing moment in your life that still haunts you to this day? One person wrote, you know, once I sent my girlfriend some Valentine's Day roses, which were pretty reasonably priced. I had them delivered to, the, to her office where she worked. Later, she asked, what possessed me to send her a dozen plastic roses in front of all of her coworkers? Oh, that's why they only cost $12. Another one. Once I forgot my phone at home when I went to work. I was talking to my colleague, and I mentioned that I didn't have my phone with me and how I felt like I had lost an arm. My colleague only had one arm. I'll think about that moment till the day I die. Okay, last one. I was in undergrad. When I was in undergrad, a friend picked me up after class one day, and she had my least favorite talk show playing in the car. And I boarded out, ugh. I hate this woman's voice every time she comes on. It's the worst. To which she replied, that's my mom. This moment still gives me nightmares sometimes. Well, hey, I can identify. Can you? I mean, wisdom can be very hard to come by, can it? Now, I don't know about you. I don't like looking like an idiot. I don't like doing dumb stuff. I try really hard not to, and yet it keeps on happening. Why is gaining wisdom so hard? Well, the Bible diagnoses it. Psalm 111 is going to diagnose it for us a little bit. And it says, sometimes we fail to gain wisdom because we don't start in the right place. So it says wisdom, getting wisdom, the journey of wisdom, it's kind of like a sprinter. And so a professional sprinter, they go to the Olympics, they got to work on a lot of things. They work on their form. They work on their strength and their endurance. They probably put a whole lot of effort into eating right and getting plenty of sleep. I mean, there's lots of other things they got to do, but there's one thing that is most important, the start. They will obsess over the start, exactly where their feet go, exactly what those first two steps look like, where their hands go, where they look, what they do with the head, what they do with their posture, the whole thing, every nanosecond, they will obsess over. Why? Because if they get off to a bad start, it's going to be a bad race. There's nothing you can do to fix it. That's how it works with wisdom. God, he's given us a lot to equip us, a lot to give us wisdom. He's given us his word. He's given us the ability to reason. He's given us conscience. He's given us other people, other believers to help us and to guide us. But you won't get anywhere on the journey of wisdom if you don't start in the right place. So what's the starting point? What's the starting point of wisdom according to the Bible? Where our psalm today says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is your starting point to being wise. And that's our big idea today. Our big idea for the day is this. You must be wowed 
to become wise. You must be wowed to become wise. So let's read. We'll read the whole psalm and then talk about it. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray you be with us in this time in your word. Would you use it in our lives to make us wise, to make us worship you? And Lord, as always, we pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would make us not just hearers, but also doers of your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to begin at the end. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom. You will find this phrase over and over and over again in the Old Testament. In just about every genre, it exists. It's almost as if when, when God was giving his people his word, his wise words to live by, inside of it, he put some instructions to say, okay, without this, none of the rest of it will make sense. Without this, you won't know how to use and apply all the rest of the words. And that thing is fear of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Because that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. The fear of the Lord. That word fear, we, we don't have a great English, just one-to-one equivalent uh, in, in our language. It's, it's kind of this awe mixed with reverence. And so if you've ever been close to a wild animal, if you've ever seen some powerful force of nature, right? There's this awe and this reverence. It, now we call it fear because there is a, there's a healthy respect, where you say, hey, this thing is bigger than me and can kill me if it wants to. Okay, that's good. You should feel that way. We see this with angels. Every time an angel appears in the Bible, they always say the same four words at first. Do not be afraid. It's almost like it's part of the angel training. They tell them, hey, when you show up to this puny little human, they're going to like throw a level five conniption fit. So you got to say, do not be afraid because they're going to be very afraid happens every time. Why? Because here we are a human and we encounter something way bigger than ourselves. There's a healthy respect there. But there's also, and this is where that translation fear kind of loses its original meaning. There's also this, this attractive awe where it's mesmerizing. You know, there's kind of two kinds of fear. There's a fear that makes us run away. And so that's the, like the Friday the 13th fear. When the guy with the hockey mask and the knife is coming, you want to run away. There's that kind of fear. That's not what we're talking about here. There's another type of fear that makes you want to get closer, that draws you in. Like maybe if you've ever met a celebrity and been starstruck, or that crush you've had for years finally comes up and talks to you, and you're kind of in this awe, but you don't want to run away. So... 
The Clint translation, for what it's worth, the way I would translate it is a mesmerizing amazement. Fear of the Lord is a mesmerizing amazement. The closest I've come to experiencing this is the Grand Canyon. Now, I went to the Grand Canyon, and I was not expecting much. I thought I had seen the Grand Canyon because I've seen 100 pictures of the Grand Canyon. But you know, if you have ever been there, seeing a picture is not the same as seeing the Grand Canyon. Y'all, it was so much bigger than I ever expected. It had me in awe, in this mesmerizing amazement. Now, that comes with a healthy respect, right? I knew I did not want to get too close to the edge because I knew if I slipped, I'd have a long time to think about how dumb I was, okay? In fact, I read an article this week that says the Grand Canyon is the deadliest of all the national parks. It's nothing that big. You got to respect it. And yet, I felt like I could just sit and stare at it all day. I just wanted to take it in and get closer and closer to it. It's mesmerizing amazement. Now, that means there's an irony when the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom is all about understanding, isn't it? But mesmerizing amazement, that's all about encountering things beyond your understanding. And so he's saying the, the way to get understanding is to be wowed by things beyond your understanding. It's like the Bible's telling us, you want to be smart, first you've got to understand how little you know. You want to be wise, first you've got to understand how big God is and how small you are. You must be wowed to become wise. That's what the Bible is telling us. So let's go back to the, the beginning, verse 1 through 3. See, something happens when we're wowed by God, when we have this mesmerizing amazement. You worship. And that's his first point. You must be wowed into worship. To be wise, you must be wowed into worship. Now, he, the writer, he, he's wowed by two things. He talks about the splendor and the majesty of God. These words, splendor and majesty, these are big, otherworldly, bigger-than-us words. This word splendor it has this connotation of bright, blinding light. And so you can think about Saul on his way to Damascus, and he sees Jesus, and there's this huge, bright, blinding light. It says, brighter than the noonday sun. That's splendor. Majesty, it's, it's bigness mixed with beauty. It's a Grand Canyon word. He is majestic. Next, the psalmist says he's wowed by his righteousness. God's righteousness, he says, endures forever and ever. That word endure, it's, it's used often of like the Greek gods. These unshakable, unstoppable, undefeated, like supermen that will never be stopped. And so kids, think about your favorite superhero. And you're reading that book or you're watching the show in the middle of it. You know, though, it doesn't matter how bad things are looking. You know, by the time that thing is over, the hero will endure. He will not be stopped. He will not be conquered. He's saying God's righteousness is a hero. It always endures. In the same way, Superman always stops that runaway train. God's righteousness always wins. But next, I want us to notice how he worships. He worships publicly. He says, with the upright. That's his circle of friends. With the congregation. That's his church. He's saying worship is a team sport. It's something that God's people do together. And think about it. We naturally do this. When we are wowed by something, the next thing we do is we grab our friend and say, hey, you got to come see this. 
we naturally want to share what wows us. C.S. Lewis wrote about this. He wrote a great book called Reflections on the Psalms. And he wrote about why it is that, that worship was made into this book of Psalms meant to be shared publicly. Why it's a public worship book. He said this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is appointed consummation. It is not, our compl- it's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it, till is it, exp- it is expressed. That's why the book of Psalms is here. Worship is incomplete until it is expressed with the congregation. Now, that idea is completely countercultural. In our cultural, it is easier and easier to isolate yourself, especially in the area of worship. Hey, if I want to worship, I can just listen to the songs on Spotify or on the radio. And maybe I can put a a sermon on on a podcast. Listen, let me tell you, if you think it's just you and God doing your own thing and that's all worship is, you have believed a lie. That is an American idea. It is not a biblical idea. Our delight, our delight in God is meant to be expressed with those around us. It is meant to be expressed with one another. Gathering together in corporate worship, it is taught, commanded, encouraged in every book of the Bible. Your worship is incomplete until it is expressed with the people of God. Next, verse 2, he talks about worship in a way that we don't usually talk about worship. He worships God with his mind. He talks about studying God. He says he studies God. Did you know worship, it's not just about music. It's not, it's not even just about emotions. You can worship God with your mind. And isn't this, I would say, isn't this what we do with any subject we love? We want to find out more about it. We want to find out all we can about it. We, we make a hobby out of it, whether it's some sport or maybe some animals or some new food trend we're into. We go and we research and we want to learn all that we can about it. In fact, verse 2, did you know verse 2 for 200 years was hanging above the science department at Cambridge University? Now, why would they, why would they put a verse out of a worship psalm on the entrance of a science department, one of the leading science departments in the world. Well, because apparently at one point they understood that learning about the world was an act of worship of the one who created the world. But we got to notice the pattern. Or we'll, or we'll never get there and we will misuse our knowledge if we don't notice the pattern. The mind follows the heart. You study with your mind after you delight in your heart. So he's saying only those who have been wowed by God, who have gained this mesmerizing amazement about God, will set out on this journey of wisdom. Will set out to find everything, out, everything they can about his creation. You must be wowed to become wise. That's what he's saying. Next he tells us this, verse 4. Verse 4 through 6, he says, you must be wowed by his works. You must be wowed by his works. And so in verse 4, he praises God for his wondrous works. 
Now, he's talking about something very specific here, okay? He's talking about God's great acts of redemption in the Old Testament. So the Exodus, the Passover, the wilderness wanderings, the, the entering into the promised land that we studied in the book of Joshua earlier this year. He says they are, God has caused them to be remembered. And so there he's talking about things God gave them like the Passover feast. It was going to tell the story generation after generation about God's wondrous works, about his acts of salvation. And so the psalmist is saying God's amazing acts of salvation, they weren't just for the people back then who experienced them firsthand. They were meant to be told to future generations. And we've got to be clear. We've got to be clear about why God wants us to do that, why he wants his great works of salvation, why he wants them to be remembered. It's not just to show what God did back then. It's to remind us that he is still doing the very same thing today. It's like he was telling them, hey, tell the story of your slavery and how I set you free because your children one day will experience their own type of slavery and they will need to know that I can set them free. See, God knows. He, he knows that ever present, working in the human heart is pride. And you and I, we're always tempted to think we don't need God, especially the more knowledge, the more wisdom we gain. We have a tendency to use knowledge not to worship God, but to claim independence from him. And when we do that, when you and I do that, listen, we may be gaining knowledge, but we are not gaining wisdom. You know, we see this all around us. Many, there's many people sitting in churches churches today who are practical deists. Now, they confess a faith in God. They, they believe it, but practically in their day-to-day lives, they just live as deists. Now, what is deism? Deism says, yes, there's a God. He created the world. He kind of spun it all in motion, but then he stepped back. And now, you know, he gave us the rules, and so now it's up to us. It's up to us to do the right things, to follow the rules, to figure it out. And if I can become wise, like wiser than most people, then good things will happen to me because that's how this whole system is supposed to work. And that, that process, that's how verse 2 gets taken down from the science department at Cambridge University. We let our knowledge supersede our fear of the Lord. And at that point, we've lost wisdom. Because there's no worship in that. There's no wow in that. There's no wondrous works and splendor and majesty in that. There's just me performing, me being good. And the Bible says, if you follow that path, you are not wise, you are a fool. Because you've forgotten, you haven't remembered what he wanted you to remember, that the God of the universe is still at work redeeming his people. You've forgotten that you need saving every bit as much as those Israelites in Egypt did. And human wisdom cannot save you. He he revisits this again in verse 9. Let's skip ahead to verse 9. Verse 9, he says, he sent redemption to his people. He's talking about the Passover there. That word redemption, it was a term used in the ancient Near East, usually to refer to someone buying someone else out of slavery. And so in the ancient Near East, people were destitute. They didn't have much money. They, there was no bank. They couldn't go get a loan. What many people would do would sell themselves into slavery. And while in theory, you could save up enough to buy yourself out of that slavery, in practice, it was nearly impossible. It's kind of like the original student loans, okay? Once you, once you get into that thing, you'll never get out of it. 
And so a redeemer is someone else who would come pay the price to set you free of your slavery. And that's what the Passover was. That's what it was a picture of. God sent redemption through the blood of the innocent lamb. And that innocent lamb paid the price to free you from your slavery. Now, can you imagine the wow, the worship, the mesmerizing amazement of those Israelites on that Passover night when they watched death itself pass over their homes? Imagine the sense of worship when they watched themselves walk out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. That's what it means to be wowed by his works. That's what it means to be wowed by God saving you when you couldn't save yourself. And that's the starting point for wisdom. Next, verse 5, he's wowed by God's faithfulness. So after Egypt, God led them through the wilderness and he says they, he provided food for them. Now, the setting is super, super important, okay? God wasn't providing food when they lived on Main Street, you know, with a great Super One right on the corner, McDonald's down the corner, refrigerators full. No, 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 no. They are an unsurvivable desert. There is no food. There is no water. The desert, this kind of desert, it, it's... It's where your, all your ability, all your wisdom cannot help you. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how good at life you are. It doesn't matter how many Bear grill shows you've watched. There is no food. There is no water. If God does not miraculously provide for you, you will not survive. And so the food that God sent was manna from heaven. It was God's miraculous provision in unsurvivable desert. Now, this is important for us to hear because most of us, myself included, hate the desert. We hate those places in life where we are suffering, we are famished, everything around us seems scarce, where the challenges are bigger than we can face on our own, when we don't even know where we will get strength to make it through the day. In fact, most of us, most of us spend all of our human wisdom trying to make sure we never have to go in the desert. Make sure we have everything we need. Make sure we can avoid that kind of suffering. Make sure we stay in control. But over and over again, the Bible says, if you want to be wise, go to the desert. Go to the desert. Moses went to the desert. David went to the desert. Paul did. Even Jesus himself went into the desert because in the desert you will be wowed by the faithfulness of God. You will experience how small you are, but you will also experience how big he is. In the desert you will learn the fear of the Lord. And so I know, I know some of you here this morning, you are in the desert right now. Maybe just consider, consider this. Consider that God has not abandoned you. Maybe he is making you wise. Maybe he is taking you to a place where you can be mesmerized by him. Next, the psalmist says this. You must be wowed by his words. You must be wowed by his words. Verse 7 and 8 are a reference to Moses giving them the law at Mount Sinai. In verse 8, he's wowed by the certainty of God's word. He says, it's established forever and ever. Established means absolutely certain. 
take it to the bank forever and ever. All of his words will come to pass. But then he says, almost the very next line, he says, they are to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Houston, we have a problem. What happened as soon as Moses got these words that were established forever and ever, walks down the mountain, what does he see? Ink's not even dry on those tablets. And already the people were worshiping a golden calf. Already they can't perform that law with faithfulness and uprightness. Now you know you and you know me. Would we have done any better? Way to answer that is, do we do any better today? Are any of us any better at keeping his commandments? Do any of us perform the law with perfect faithfulness and uprightness? No. So how can verse 8 be true? I mean, it seems like he's saying, okay, God's word is absolutely certain forever and ever. Take it to the bank. And then the very next line is something that is absolutely not certain. How can his words be so certain forever and ever when no one performs them? with faithfulness and uprightness. Well, there's a clue. If you back up one verse to verse 7, there's a little clue in the original language. So verse 7 says, God's works are faithful and just. Do you see that? God's works are faithful and just. So that word faithful in verse 7 is the same word as faithful in verse 8. And so who can perform God's law with faithfulness? Not me, not you, God himself can. See, the psalmist, he's not worshiping God for giving his commandments and then worshiping the people for keeping his commandments. No, 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 no. The psalmist is wowed by God's ability to do both. He is the God who both gives the law and performs the law. He does both sides of the equation. Do you see that? And this is where the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God absolutely part ways. See, to be wise this morning, you have to be wowed by one more thing. You have to be wowed by the wisdom of the cross. You have to be wowed by the wisdom of the cross. See, 1 Corinthians 1, it says, there's a lot of people who think themselves wise who are actually fools. Conversely, there's a wisdom, actually the highest wisdom that sounds like absolute foolishness to the world. It's the wisdom of the cross. And here's why the the cross is the height of wisdom. Two reasons. Number one, it is your only way to redemption. It's your only way. See, only a fool would look around at the brokenness of our world, at all the death, the destruction, the sickness, the hate, the strife, and say, there's no problem here. We're fine. Slavery, what's slavery? We're not in slavery. It's like walking around an unsurvivable desert saying, where's the McDonald's? Or it's like knowing death is coming but rejecting the innocent lamb who can redeem you. Romans 6, 23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, the wages of all our sin and brokenness is death. And so only a fool looks at the cost of their own sin and says, yeah, I can pay that. I can write that check. But what does the wise person do? The wise person realizes their slavery and then is wowed when the God of the universe dies on the cross to pay the wages for their sin. 
and they say, wow, Jesus has bought my redemption, just like that Passover lamb did years ago. The second thing, the cross is your only way to righteousness. It's your only way. See, only a fool can look at the holiness, the righteousness of God and think, I can measure up to that. I can meet that standard. I want my standing to be based on my performance. I'm going to be the one who, who performs the law with total faithfulness, with total uprightness. I want to do that. But the wise man, you know what the wise man does? He sees his weak, imperfect, filthy rag righteousness for what it really is. And he realizes it pales in comparison to the hero righteousness of God. He's the hero. He's got the righteousness, not me. He's the one that's absolutely certain forever and ever, not me. And then he reads Romans 6, 23. And he reads that that hero righteousness has been given as a gift for free. And he accepts it. What is wiser than accepting for free something you can never earn on your own? The cross is the height of wisdom. It is your only way, your only way to redemption and to righteousness. That is the wisdom of the cross. And when you see it, when you understand it, what can you say but, wow. What can you do but worship? And now you're ready to become wise. So maybe you're here today and you're, you're working really, really hard to make life work, to solve your problem, to fix your relationships, but you end up being like all those people, you know, buying plastic roses and insulting their friends' moms. Just dropping the ball left and right. Maybe it's time to go back to the beginning. Come to the cross and worship. Be filled with mesmerizing amazement at the God who redeemed you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.